You're listening to a sermon preached at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. The great theologian Augustine of Hippo once said that in the Old Testament, the new is concealed. In the new, the old is revealed. When we think of the messianic prophecies from this perspective, we see that the Old Testament whispers to us about the coming of the Messiah. Join us during our Advent sermon series titled Rumors of the Messiah, where we confirm the whispered prophecies of the Old Testament that told of the birth, suffering, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Uh, Privilege and pleasure um, to be with you all this morning. Um, If you're visiting us for the first time, I want to encourage you, if you have not already, um, to make sure to fill out a Connect card, which is located at the welcome desk. Um, right here out in the hallway. We'll love to be able to connect with you and pray for you and acknowledge that you are here. It is a great joy that you are here with us this morning. This morning, we'll continue in our Advent series, talking about the rumors of Jesus. Again, looking at Isaiah 53, verses 1 through 6. You know, it was said to me this week, these words, all I want is to have peace. All I want is to have peace. These words were spoken from a neighbor here in our community who stopped by our church for prayer and other necessities. He lives in an apartment that's not too far away from here, and his complaint is that it's always loud. 24 hours a day, seven days a week, nothing but noise. Family shouting, dogs are barking, people are talking. Sometimes they're in the hallways talking to themselves. He's been incarcerated and he's without a job right now. Because, you know, finding a job as an ex-con is really hard. He, li- he desires to live a better life for himself. But the one thing that he desires seems to be the one thing that also eludes him so easy. Peace. You know, I love how the Merriam Dictionary defines peace. Defines it three ways. It says, peace is a freedom from civil disturbance. It's a freedom from disquieting or oppressive thoughts or emotions. And lastly, but definitely not least, peace is harmony in personal relations. So where can, be, where can peace be found? Love what Matt, what Matt um, Schumeister says in his book, A, Worry, A Weary World Rejoices. He says these words, peace is an idea, as an idea, is immensely popular. We love talking about it, posting about it, dreaming about it, planning for it, but it sure can be elusive, can it? Despite its universal beloved status, peace does not mark our world. And I don't simply mean unsettling headlines from distant lands. Peace eludes those in securest neighborhoods, the richest professions, the most advanced nations. Peace eludes us even when we arrived. So today we're going to examine this statement and this thought. Peace is found in the presence of God. Peace is found in the presence 
of God. Would you pray with me? Our Father, our God, we do thank you and we do love you. We thank you, God, that in your presence there is peace. Father, I pray that as we are reminded of this great idea and great theme today, that you would provide peace, even under those who are under the sound of my voice right now. Would you still our hearts and would you quiet our minds so that we might hear from you? Father, as always, take the little I have and make much of it. Glorify yourself as only you can. May some mind be transformed. May some soul be saved for the advancement of your kingdom. Hide me behind your cross even now, Jesus. We do thank you and praise you for who you are in every way. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, it happens almost every night. Sometimes it happens in the middle of the night. For many of you, it might have even happened this week on Friday night. Most times it happens just because it happens. Well, what is it? Every parent has experienced it. Every parent can't deny it when it's requested. Some parents love it, while others get exhausted by it. It is the inevitable request from one of your children upon being laid down for the night with those irresistible words, mommy or daddy, I need snuggles. (laughs) Or mommy and daddy, I need you. You know, when your kids ask you this question, we have to ask ourselves, what are they really asking? You know what they're asking? They're simply asking for your presence. They are asking for your nearness. They're asking for you to come and comfort them and to console their fears. They're asking for your strength to overcome their weakness, and they're asking for your closeness to satisfy their loneliness. It's a good reminder for us that no matter how old you are, we never overcome our desire for presence. Unfortunately, some of us are learning how to celebrate this beloved holiday season without loved ones. Maybe this year for the first time ever, maybe a Christmas without someone whom you love dearly not being present with you. These are important because our presence communicates something. One's presence communicates something that words cannot express. One's presence involves all who you are, your senses, your emotions, your thoughts, all of you. And while sometimes children's fears, apprehensions, and suspicions are often irrational, in in their moment of need, they don't want rational answers. All they want is your presence. So where can we find peace? Remember what we said earlier, peace is found within the presence of God. It's a lot like a child who comes to your room screaming in the middle of a thunderstorm. They come into your room screaming, asking to be hailed and to be consoled by you, their parent, because they love you, or grandparent, because they love you. 
Notice with me that even though they come and they snuggle and they are in your warm embrace, notice that the storm doesn't stop. (laughs) The thing that is different is that they are with you. They are being comforted by you. You see, the storm can still rage on, but just as long as you're near, they will be okay. They'll be all right. I love how the psalmist puts this in Psalm 18, verses 28 through 30. He puts it this way about God. He says, Lord, you are my, you light my lamp. You, my God, illuminates my darkness. He says, with you, I can attack a barricade. And with my God, I can leap over a wall. God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is pure. He is a shield to all who take refuge in him. Listen to Psalm 23, verse 4. We said this last week, but it's a good reminder for us even this week. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. Some translations say evil. For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. So how does our God draw near? Well, in this passage in Isaiah reminds us that, our, that while our God's presence is near, his presence is revealed to us in four unexpected ways. Look at with me at verse 2 for the first unexpected way, his lack of appeal. Verse 2 says it this way, He grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He didn't have an impressive form or majesty that we should look at him, no appearance that we should desire him. So how does our God draw near? How does our God allow his presence to be known? Notice with me how God's presence won't come to us. God's presence won't come to, come to us through a celebrity red carpet performance. Notice the birth of Jesus. There, there are no TV crews or paparazzi when Jesus arrived on earth. Jesus came as a baby who was born in a feeding trough called a manger. Jesus was born of a teenage virgin named Mary. Jesus' hometown, his origin, was from the ghetto of Nazareth. In other words, we couldn't look at Jesus' family, his clothing, his job, his finances, and automatically come away saying, well, yeah, that that just makes perfect sense, right? There's something different about Jesus. Remember, as we said earlier, God's presence isn't found in the obvious places. It's often found in the ordinary and unimpressive places. In other words, God's presence isn't always going to be what you think of when you think of divine intervention. It's not going to always include a spiritual high. It's not going to always be a mountaintop experience during a a men's or women's retreat. It's not going to always going to be something showy or impressive. No, the presence of God comes to us in the ordinary places. Do you remember Elijah? Elijah had to find this out in 1 Kings 19. 
God had instructed him in a special way to go out and to meet him in his presence. And do you remember what was said about that in 1 Kings 19, verses 11 to 12? It says, Then he said, Go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore through the mountains and broke the rocks in pieces But the Lord before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in a fire. And after the fire, a still, small voice. It's a good reminder for us that God's presence isn't always in the most obvious places. Sometimes it's in the ordinary things of a child coming to give you a hug on a bad day. Sometimes it's a kiss on the forehead from a spouse after having a fight. Sometimes it's the gracious gift of a grandparent sending you money, unexpected money, just to let you know that they're thinking of you, that they love you. God's presence isn't always found in the obvious places. It's found in the ordinary unimpressive, mundane ways in our life. And we should thank him for that. Look at me in verses three and four for the second unexpected way. Not only do we see his lack of appeal, but we also see his lack of applause. Verse three and four reads as follows. He was despised and rejected by man, men, a man of suffering who knew what sickness was. He was like someone put, someone people turned away from. He was despised and we didn't value him. Yet he himself bore our sickness and he carried our pains, but we in turn regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. So where is God found? Notice with me that God is not found near the applause of men. He is closely associated with those who are despised and those who are rejected by men. Why is this? Because much like us, like us, Jesus himself was also despised and rejected by men. He was a man with tears running down his face who experienced deep grief. Jesus was a man who was ostracized and neglected within his very own society, his very own community, and his very own hometown. Jesus himself had probably had dirty hands like you and I. He got his hands dirty. His feet got dirty. At times, yes, Jesus probably smelled bad. And strangers probably didn't have, they didn't want anything. Um, they did everything in their power to avoid him on the streets. It's a good reminder for us that God's presence is not found in obvious places. It often appears to be antithetical and even or countercultural. So what does this mean, Pastor Fields? What does it mean, Pastor James? Simply means this, that Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is not likely to be found amongst the powerful and the pretty but he is most likely to be seen near the poor and the peculiar. It means that Jesus is not most likely to be found among the well-to-do and the wealthy, but he is most likely to be found around the weak and the worthless. 
Jesus is not often found near the important and the impressive, but those who are irrelevant and those who are deemed insignificant. I think it's a good time for us to think about this question ourselves. Where in your life are you looking for the presence of God? Where are you in your life are you looking for the presence of God? Are you looking for God near the applause? Are you looking for God near the spotlight, near the celebration? Are you looking for God when the sun is shining and all seems right in the world? Again, church family, God's presence is not always obvious. Sometimes his presence is often in the neglected places, the forsaken places, the forgotten places. You know, one of the greatest joys that I have within the last couple of weeks is uh, going with my wife who just started a new job. And about three months ago, she worked for a company called ARC, A-R-C, Addiction Recovery Center. And her job is a community liaison. So she tries to help and connect ARC with different churches and nonprofits in the city in order to help nonprofits and other organizations know how to get help, how to get relief if they have a family member or person in their family who is in addiction or has an addiction. Part of her job is not just about addiction recovery, but it's specifically going into homeless camps around the city. And she's often invited me to go and visit some of these homeless camps. And listen, When you go, you have to go with a particular mindset because what you see can often be horrendous. It can be heart-wrenching. You see pregnant women. You see children. You see men just trying to make it in these camps. And oftentimes when we go, I often leave with a sense of hopelessness of where is God or how could God allow this to happen? But you know what? In one particular moment when I went to the homeless camp with my wife, I met a group of Christians, (laughs) people who love Jesus and who are seeking him despite their circumstances. And listen to me, those people gave me and still give me so much hope (laughs) because they remind me that despite the horrendous Scenery, despite the horrific conditions, despite the addictions, despite all the things that I see that I seem and deem in my mind to be impossible to solve or to help, the message and word and love for Jesus is still present even in that place. And God's love and his nearness is seen through the scriptures that are being memorized, through the generosity that people have even in those communities. And listen, this is what I love about the gospel is that the gospel is not just for those who have their life together, quote unquote. The gospel is for those who acknowledge their need for God despite their conditions, despite their their health, despite their needs. It is for those who look to Jesus 
and look to the cross as the only means of their source and satisfaction. As the means by which God's presence draws near every single day. I love going to those communities because in those communities, for me at least, I get to see the gospel manifested in real and authentic ways. Ways that money, clothing, education can't provide. Look with me in verse 4 for the third unexpected way, our lack of appreciation. It says here, yet he himself bore our weakness and he carried our pains. But in turn, we regarded him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. So we have to think about this for a minute. Why would Jesus endure so much pain, sorrow and grief? Why would Jesus endure this? Well, Jesus endured our pain, our sorrow, and our grief because we couldn't endure it ourselves. Notice what Philippians 2 verses 5 and 8 says about this. It says, adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus, who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited. Instead, he emptied himself by assuming the likeness of humanity And when he had come as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Jesus endured our pain, sorrow, and grief, not only because we couldn't endure it, he also endured the pain, the sorrow, and our grief in order to better associate with us. Listen to Hebrews 2, verses 10 through 11. This is the New International Version I'm reading. It says, in bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, from whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. Now listen, if any verse should give you hope this morning, I hope that that verse gives you hope that Jesus is not ashamed to call you a brother or a sister because of what he suffered on the cross on our behalf. Jesus is much like that parent whom we run to during the middle of the storm who comforts us and can sympathize with us and can empathize with us because he knows the weightiness of this world and he knows the weightiness of sin, of of the weight of sin, yet without sinning. And therefore, he is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters. So what does this mean? (laughs) What does this mean that Jesus is not ashamed to call us brothers and sisters? It means that he delights in associating with us in our weakness. Listen to Dane Ortland in his book, Gentle and Lowly, as he describes this very theme in different words. He says, Jesus doesn't just want to draw on, just want us to draw on his grace and mercy only because it vindicates his atoning work. He wants us to draw on his grace and mercy because it is who he is. 
He drew near to us in our incarnation so that his joy and ours could rise and fall together. His in giving mercy and ours in receiving it. Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for help and mercy. In the same way that a loving husband gets more relief and comfort in his wife's healing than in his own, Christ bringing in in himself more comfort than it procures to them when he sees our sins being placed under his own blood. I love that middle line there, that Christ gets more joy and comfort than we do when we come to him for mercy and help. Look with me to verses four, five, and six for the first unexpected way. We see this and this entitlement of our lack of acknowledgement. It says, he was pierced because of our rebellion. He was crushed because of our, our, our rebellion. He was uh, crushed because of our iniquities. Punishment for our peace was on him, and he, we are healed by his wounds. Notice with me that God is our Father who weeps to bring us joy. God is our Father who weeps to bring us joy. Now imagine with me a child who is crying, right? A child who had heard that thunderstorm and it runs into their parents' room. A harsh father would look at their scared child and tell them to stop crying without, under, without first understanding why they're crying. A, a cold father might look at the tears of their child and say, grow up, son, or grow up, daughter. But notice what a good father does. A good father looks at the tears of, and of his children, and he not only acknowledges their tears, but he learns how to weep with them. He learns how to weep with them. I don't know if you've ever had this in your life, a place of unexpected tears. You know, this Thanksgiving break, I really just got a chance to unwind. And part of the day, I was able to just chill out, literally do nothing. <laughs> a lot of times I'm doing emails or I'm planning meetings or I'm doing other things. But this Thanksgiving break, I said, you know what? I'm not going to do absolutely nothing. I'm just going to just be. I'm not going to do. Yes, your pastor has a problem with that. That's why I remind you guys of that often, of identity precedes function. I have my own problems with that. So I said, I'm just going to be this Thanksgiving. I'm not going to do, I'm not going to work, I'm not going to plan. And as I was sitting at the table, looking at my children, just play and have fun, I don't know what happened, but a sense of overwhelming joy entered in my heart, and I started to have these unexpected tears. And I just started weeping, just weeping. And we're like, singing praise songs and just having fun and just, just doing all this, just nothing, really. We're just having, just being, just having fun, just kind of just enjoying the day. And the Holy Spirit took hold of my heart at that moment, and he just allowed this deep joy, this deep, I don't even know what to call it, um, gratitude to overwhelm me in that moment to see how God had been moving in my family. And he reminded me that just three years ago, you moved your family 750 miles from the east coast of New Jersey to Kentucky, not knowing what was going to come forth out of that. 
You led your family to a new church. You became a pastor of a church for the first time, not knowing how that was going to go. The first opportunity, the first day I think I was here at the church, we had to do church discipline on someone. Never done church discipline before. My wife and I experienced a really traumatic situation the first week of us moving here. And I just took that moment just to be able to look and just say, man, thank you, Jesus. God, it's been hard. It's been difficult. Took a pay cut to come. You've done different things, have made sacrifices to come. You were flying back and forth from New Jersey to Kentucky every, every other weekend to come preach and go back. And I just was able to sit down for a moment and just realize, man, how good God has been to me. If you haven't had a chance to do that, I invite you to do something similar. Take time to sit back and just remember how good God has been to you. And listen to you. For some of you that may come out in tears and some of you that may come out in laughter and some of that may come in joy. and Some of you may come, you may be still in it. It may still be a place of sorrow or grief. But whatever emotions that you may have, I invite you to allow the Lord to meet you in that place. To simply sit back and just remember, to think back over this year and think about the goodness of our God. It is a wonderful thing to be reminded of our God's goodness in the most unexpected ways. I love what Frederick Buchner says about this in A Crazy Holy Place, the healing power of pain and memory. He says this, whenever you find tears in your eyes, especially unexpected tears, it is well to pay the closest attention. They are not only telling you something about the secret of who you are, but more often than not, God is speaking to you through them of the majesty of where you have come from and is summoning you to where, if your soul is to be saved, you should go next. I love this. Because it reminds us that of where peace can be found. Peace is found in the presence of our God. Listen to how the psalmist says it in Psalm 16, verse 11. He says, you reveal the path of life to me. In your presence is abundant joy. Or other versions says fullness of joy. At your right hand are eternal pleasures forevermore. Good for us to remember that God's presence is not found in obvious places. Sometimes they can be found in our unexpected tears. Look with me again to verse 5 and 6 to see the kindness of our God. He was pierced because of our rebellion, crushed because of our rebellion, crushed because of our crushed because of our iniquities. Punish the punishment for our peace was on him and we are healed by his wounds. In other words, Jesus was crushed so that we might be forgiven. He was beaten so that we might be made whole. He was whipped so that we might be healed. And as our good, loving father, he willingly paid his his children's debt. And as our gracious priest, he drew near to his children to bring them complete and eternal healing. I love how Hebrews 4 puts it. Hebrews 4.15 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. Notice with me that Jesus came and not only suffered for us, but Jesus has come to suffer with us. He's come to suffer with us. In other words, Jesus is not a stranger to your circumstances. He knows the power of every temptation without ever bowing his knee to his demands. He's experienced every form of weakness while still striving to maintain his strength in God. So what's the point? Why why did Jesus suffer this? Why is this important for us to remember? Look at verse 16 with me in Hebrews 4. It says, therefore, let us approach the throne of grace with boldness so that we may receive mercy and find help, find grace to help us in our time of need. Do you see what the outcome is? Do you see what the reward is? The reward is not more new information about Jesus. The reward is the presence of God. You have the opportunity because of Jesus suffering on your behalf, you now have the reward. You now have the opportunity to approach the throne of grace with boldness. You now have an opportunity to go to your loving father during your own life's thunderstorms and say, Abba, Father, draw near. You are able to call out to God when you are overrun in your bank account and there's no more money left to say, God, I need you. Be my provision. You are able to be next to that person, that loved one in the hospital. And when the doctors say they can't do anything else, you can stretch your hands up and pray over that person in the name of Jesus and ask God to bring healing that no medicine can provide in that moment. You have access to God, the author, the creator, the sustainer of all things, the beginning and the end, the alpha and the omega, the the, the Lord of lords, the king of kings. You have access to God. Beloved one, don't forget that. Don't forget this holiday season has merchandise and family needs and all these things will distract us to forget about where our true peace comes from. Don't forget that your peace comes from the very presence of God. And you can gain access to that peace, not because you've been a good person or not because you've done good things. You can gain access and strength and comfort and love because of what Jesus has done on your behalf. You can find peace today. Peace, even while the thunderstorm is still raging. See, that's what I love about the gospel. The gospel doesn't solve all my problems, but the gospel is my solution to any problem that I might face. (laughs) your, your, Your storm may not stop. Your problem may not cease, but there is a peace that God can give you in the midst of the storm In the midst of the struggle, in the midst of the straining and the strife, there's a peace that God can can give that surpasses any understanding in the middle of the storm. Do you know that peace? 
Have you experienced that peace? I love this because verse 16 of Hebrews 4 reminds us that God doesn't simply give us answers. He offers us something better. He offers us his presence. His presence. Don't neglect the presence of Christ during this Christmas season. Don't neglect the presence of Christ in this Christmas season. Because it's in his presence that we experience peace. It's in his presence that we find hope. And it's in his presence that we obtain comfort. Remember, remember, saints, God's presence is not always obvious, but it's ultimately found in Jesus' suffering. The promise of Advent is a promise of a suffering Savior. We can witness God's presence and we can experience God's peace because of his lack of appeal. Verses one and two, because of his lack of applause, verses three and four, because our lack of appreciation, verse four, and last but definitely not least, our lack of acknowledgement, verses five and six. Would you pray with me? Father, we do love you and we thank you. God, we thank you that you truly was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with the deepest of grief. God, you were not, Jesus, you were not attractive. You did not demand an audience. You're often homeless, rejected, misunderstood, wrongly convicted, and innocently innocently murdered. But yet, through your suffering, we find our freedom. Father, we do thank you. Father, if there's anyone under the sound of my voice who doesn't know this peace that is found in you, in your son Jesus, and his atoning work that he's fulfilled from now until eternity past, God, I pray that you would draw them near. I pray, God, that you would draw near to them and you would allow them to see your goodness through the turning work of Jesus, that they will forsake any means by which they try to live their life in a good way and trust in the work, the complete and finished work that you've done at the cross of Calvary. God, I pray for those who already believe and who do believe I pray that you will resurrect our weary souls, that you would help us to find peace in you as our God and as our King, that in your presence, our hope will be restored. Jesus, we need you. And during this Advent season, I I pray, God, that you will remind us that you have drawn near, that you have drawn near and you are drawing near through your Son, Jesus, and your Holy Spirit pray this in the mighty and matchless name of Jesus. Amen. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.